This is Gemma Redgrave, and you're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 463 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we're making a deal with some goth sock puppet to trade places with a Ted Lasso podcast, and no one's going to be the wiser. <laughs> I'm Kier. I'm Haley. I'm Jay. And I'm Julie. This week, the fifth story of the Sarah Jane Adventures doesn't just alter time to change a few events. It negates the existence of its title character. Whatever happened to Sarah Jane? After a nice day out, Sarah Jane uh, gives Maria a puzzle box that an alien soothsayer had given her, saying that it was meant for a trusted friend to be given with a simple message, remember. Now, conveniently enough, that evening, a mysterious cloaked figure visits the house, and with the wave of his hand, Sarah Jane disappears from everything. The next morning, Maria finds someone named Andrea living in the Smith house and soon realizes she's the only one who remembers Sarah Jane at all. She quickly learns that the box protected her memory. It doesn't take long for before Maria herself falls prey to the hooded trickster, but not before learning back in 1964, he swapped Sarah Jane and her friend Andrea at a moment in their childhood when Andrea fell victim to a fatal accident. With Sarah Jane taking her place, Andrea lived on 40 years of robbing the world of our beloved hero. Without her presence, no one is there to save the planet from an approaching meteor, and it takes the crew's persuasion and persistence to get Andrea to renege on her deal from the 1960s, restore Sarah Jane's timeline, and let her save the day. You tricked me. You used a child. And now you're destroying the Earth. Chaos is good. Well, I say no. If there's one thing I can do with my life, I can put a stop to you for good. I've changed my mind. I'm taking the deal back. Then you will die. Well, for a... program that is intended for a teen audience this is the sort of plot line and complexity level that we would expect from a main range doctor who story um was i the only one who almost kind of lost sight of which series we were watching at certain points along the way a little bit yeah i mean it it definitely had some some twists and turns in there that i was like this is this is the kids show are we sure (laughs) (laughs) i think it's very telling that this is an episode where they name drop the doctor yeah yeah and have that mention as well as some of to your point very heavy thematic elements it's also kind of a classic doctor who story move to drop the doctor out of an episode and let the companions take the lead yeah very true yeah this was this was our doctor light episode (laughs) 
<laughs> in a well, in a sense, it had the makings of it uh, because we don't. Well, it was the Sarah Jane Light episode, <laughs> but but we uh, we got her in the back half of the story. She's yeah. just talking from yeah. limbo well, or or Janet's void, whichever. You get the doctor on the TV when it's the Weeping Angels. True, so. true, true. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, I I I think you know, say what you will about Gareth Roberts and things, but as a writer, he understands the, really the mechanics of a of a of a. a a well-functioning story you know you got to hit these certain beats and at some point you have to realize that your particular threat uh whatever the danger is that you uh, that you set up i mean he put the put the Chekhov's gun over there with the meteor let that run for a little while um when we start getting into the throes of sarah jane being missing it only makes sense to now up the ante one more time and drop maria out of the picture uh, which I was surprised it gave a nice opportunity for Maria's dad to come a little further. I've already, I'm already liking the character, you know, and I like the fact that that they've they've utilized him the way they have. He's he's not not the sad sack parent who they can just kind of push around and fool into doing whatever. The the he has to bear all the slings and arrows from the from the ex wife all the time, which kind of gives him the the pathos. But we get that nice little bit at the end where it's like, can somebody please explain to me what's going on here? And mm. and it almost feels right there. In fact, it caught me for a half a second. Julie can attest to this. Caught me thinking, there's your season button. And I forgot there's another story <laughs> in the season. Because yeah. you could have ended the season right there. Yeah. yeah. I think... It, for me, one of the interesting things about having the dad involved with Maria going missing was his life without Maria was very much the same. Not to say that she's not like Sarah Jane in this, but like still plagued by the ex-wife, the ex-wife saying, oh, if we would have had kids, things would have turned out differently. <laughs> but it's not no, yeah. about Maria. It was about she's not a great person but also <laughs> them. i i kind of wonder like what keeps her hanging around without maria being the reason that they need to interact the party woman across the street yeah <laughs> yeah yeah or uh, but they they do have that weird relationship where they're trying to remain friends yeah but it's i think had maria stayed missing they maybe wouldn't have but because it needed to be a full story and it was a recent never had kid mm -hmm. okay. well and the the thing is like once you take sarah jane out of the picture she's no longer friends with clyde luke doesn't exist who else is actually going to know maria for the dad to act off of so you Story-wise, you had to have the mom there for him to be like, no, Maria, my daughter, kind of thing. Because nobody else would have known who she was talking about. Right, yeah. Hence the party tying it all together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I did... I do appreciate the fact that they kind of brought him more to the the fore in this one. You, you you got to see him interacting with everyone and being a part of the the group at the beginning, kind of setting that up. And then you know, leading into the end where he's actually taking charge of the situation and, and, and realizing that everything that Maria had been saying was, was true. And it, it was a nice way of kind of looping him in and bringing that, that character more to the fore. It, again, very much like a, uh, a main range Dr. Who story where you've got your companions, but then you also have your plus ones and yeah. your periphery characters who every once in a while step up and do something really exceptional to advance the storyline. I also think it was very important to get in his 
skateboarding skills in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would not have been able to knock out whatever that creature was <laughs> and tie him up. And that was very important to set that yeah. up. Did Pl- his own skateboarding stunts. Did he? There you go. That was That's awesome. I was going to say because of the backwards hat that it was not him. <laughs> like the well, angle. No, no accounting for style, but it yeah. wasn't. Well, it's kind of like kids. there was the laser tag episode because it's very much a product of its time. That's why the skateboarding was so cool because this is an early 2000s episode. <laughs> and as they're taking pictures with their digital camera, <laughs> Funko device thing, hey, at least it wasn't one of those little disposable cameras. But, but they all, uh, did you hear what he said? Instead of saying cheese, they all say loose trucks. Wow. That's a very Uh, 720 reference. Also, long enough ago that somebody actually had somebody's phone number memorized. Right. (laughs) She did have to say it out loud, though, so it's a practiced thing. Like, (laughs) Yeah, when was the last time you practiced a phone number, though? (laughs) Practiced a phone number? I have to write his phone number on lots of legal documents all the time. (laughs) I always look up her contact in my phone every time I have to put her number down on a legal document. Same. And my birthday, I'm pretty sure. No, I got your birthday. Okay. No. It only took a few years. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, hey, change the subject. <laughs> so we love a trickster villain, and this one doesn't even bother using another name. What is it about <laughs> these agents of chaos that are so appealing? Ah, man. It's, it, it is the unexpected. You don't, you know, with, with somebody that is, that literally thrives on chaos uh, in this one, like, Nothing's going to go according to plan. You know, you, you can always trust a dishonest man to be dishonest, but you never know when an honest man's going to be stupid or something. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it is, it's the fact that they do things that are so unexpected and it mm. shakes the story up where, you know, you, if we see a Dalek, we know what the Dalek's going to do. If we see the Cybermen, we know what the Cybermen are going to do. If we have a trickster, everything goes out the window. We don't have a playbook for these kind of characters. That's a really good point. It's also sort of the, the the complete antithesis to the other type of villain, which we really, really love, which is the justified mm-hmm. villain. The one who has a really, really a, a bent but pointed true moral compass. It's, you know, um, what is it? The uh, It's it's like the zealot, I guess you could, you could say. They're the ones that are absolutely certain that what they're doing is the right and righteous path, but they are so far off skew. That, that what they're doing makes them the villain in this particular story. Now, that's great, and we'll love that all day long and mm-hmm. twice on Sundays. But when it comes to a trickster, as, as Jay said, it's that, that randomizer aspect of it just means there's nothing to plan for, there is nothing to protect against, uh, and there is no way to reason with them. You're not going to have a, a conversational, you know, uh, tent revival conversation with one of them to try and change their ways because there ain't no ways to change. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that sheer what the hell factor is, is a lot of fun too. I also think in this instance, his choice is so specific with the complete and utter chaos ending to the world. Mm. And he lists off a couple of the other options that he had. He's like, I could have done this or this, but <laughs> that's not the total annihilation of everything that you <laughs> you know as... Surprise, you're the center of the universe now. Yeah. My mom, mama trickster, always said, go big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> Which I like, it kind of ties back into, I don't think he was justified from anyone else's perspective, but again, from his own, this is the only chance that he ever would have picked. Mm-hmm. This was the moment, and it had to be this, and it had mm-hmm. the opportunity at the other end of the timeline because of 
the situation that Andrea got them into. Yeah, true. I also wonder, uh, everyone can can just take that quick hot second that we all did right around 2000, uh, I can't remember what year, 2013 or so, when the when the Whispermen first appeared uh, in the Capaldi era with Clara and looked exactly the same. And everyone went and said, wait a minute, are they in any way connected? Except they're wearing top hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I was, I was like, this guy looks familiar. I think I've seen him in a Doctor Who story before, but I don't remember what he was doing. <laughs> also, one thing to note about the doc scene is just who doesn't lock that opening where Andrea fell out. Well, they shouldn't have to because they put a loosely chained gate at right. the head of the boardwalk. <laughs> the top of it. But still, you, you'd figure that there would be one of those slide bolts in there. It was, and just, it was the you 60s. Know. It was, yeah, it was the 60s. <laughs> it was a simpler time. Kids just <laughs> fell off things. Meh. That in particular, the, the disturbing nature of that, again, going back to this is supposed to be for like tweens and, and young teen audiences. And you've got these prolonged moments of seeing a character that you know one of these two kids in this scene, no matter how you're flipping the coin on the way the trickster's dealing with this, one of these kids is about to die right in front of you. Yeah, They do make them fall it's, off screen. There was no falling yeah. on screen. True. Uh, <laughs> it, I don't know. I, ch- I chalk it up to kind of the, you know, the original Grimm's fairy tale. It's like, it's, it's not supposed to be a happy story. It's supposed to be a warning. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you, you see a sign that says, don't go there. There's a reason you're not supposed to go there <laughs> yeah so kids avoid seaside towns yeah they're I, death traps i think we get to a point that's almost as dark as torchwood if you uh think about it too hard which is asking a child to sacrifice herself to save the world Hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well i'm leading to that though that i mean we had the climactic scene where sarah jane and maria are are appealing to to andrea to to forfeit the deal that she made um and I mean, this is a really strong scene. It it might even be the first time that we see Sarah Jane like actually come to tears on screen. So what makes this moment, which I mean, on paper is just going to be, you know, people talking to each other. What makes it work so well on screen? What made it so powerful? Um, seeing Elizabeth Sladen cry, number one. <laughs> I mean, the moment when you realize that she's not just sort of delivering the lines with facial expressions, but you actually see her eyes start to dampen. That hurts like hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you hurt our Sarah Jane. Take it back. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also, to a certain degree, I mean, as as over the top as the Andrea character is, um, and, and how she, you know, that that actor plays this wonderful line of like making her this kind of uh, the adult version of this this trouble kid from 1964 things about, you know, do what you want, things, you know, and sort of, you know, she's living, as she says, living her life to the fullest. She realized that she had been given an opportunity and she was going to squeeze every ounce out of it. And you buy that. You genuinely Mm -hmm. buy that. So when she pushes back and says, I don't want to let this go, that's like to our our villain discussion a second ago. It's like, you kind of, she's the justified villain. (laughs) I get it. It sucks. But you got to go, dear. She's had a line, but she's got a point. <laughs> I, I also think that she goes through such a roller coaster of emotions throughout mm. the episode. And mm. you would expect that from her character, which I don't know if they explicitly said it, but she basically stopped living at 13, 
and then appeared here at 50 whatever. Mm. And I think that it was an instant, but also she has the memories of having lived a full life and right. the, the photos changed and all of that. So on some level, I think that she still was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Like the arrested mm-hmm. development and still kind of, uh, thinking like still, things through. Yes, yeah. Still having to come to terms with, especially when she thought she would not remember. And now she has to remember that this is her one moment in time. I think that makes it very poignant at the discussion that they're having because she is being asked to give up something that one, she already lost, but then within the course of the day, she kind of went so up and down and tried to justify everything. And even to herself, Mm -hmm. which imagine all of us at 13 being, being asked the same kind of uh, give up your life, but also who's more important, you or your friend. Like, well, clearly me. Uh, (laughs) The world revolves around this one right here, especially that kind of character. So I think just the the sheer weight of all that time or lack thereof between them makes it that much more emotional. It also had shades of the the human nature and family of blood when the, the doctor is having to, or John Smith is having to, give up his identity to become the doctor. And he, he has those moments of like, it's like, why do I have to die so that this person can live? And it, I mean, it, mm-hmm. I definitely got, you know, I, I was very much thinking about that during this whole scene. I was like, this is exactly the same kind of argument. It's you're, you're asking me to give up the one thing that is the most important to me, which is my own life so that somebody else can, can have a chance at it. And it, it's, it's a compelling argument from both sides you know, I mean, obviously we're, we're rooting for one because there's a lot more at stake with that one, but mm-hmm. I can't fault her for not wanting to give it up. It, so it's, it is like you said, you know, it's, it's that justified villain of like, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I don't agree with you, but I can't fault your logic. Right. That's a really good parallel too. It's also a little bit of a trolley problem. Mm-hmm. It was yep. okay when it was her <laughs> versus Sarah Jane, one for one, for one but mm-hmm. then she <laughs> she walks out and you see the moment when she realizes, oh, this is my fault. Right. That meteor is mm. my fault. Oh, and now I have to choose between me and the world. Yeah. Okay, and now it's more of a larger issue. And that's where Maria comes into that conversation. And it's more than just having the, the, the conversation through the mirror with Sarah Jane is that Maria is the one to sort of speak in there and say, look, what little I know for this, you know, however many months I've been living across the street from this woman is that she is essential to all of our lives. You know, we have gone through all of these things. We have, you know, she has has saved us, you know, a hundred times over in ways that we know and countless times in ways that we don't. And she's the she's the the additional set of eyes and that additional voice to say, you don't understand that it's not just a matter of the, you know, it's the, this meteor, it's the next thing and the thing after that and the thing after that. She is best qualified, best equipped to uh, to be our, our champion in this. So that's a, it, it says a lot for the Maria character as well, as far as this isn't just a matter of, you know, oh, my cool neighbor across the street who's got the fun gadgets and I go <laughs> over there because they've got a video game you can play without even putting quarters in it. Um, but it's, it's, it's that much more. She's, she's completely, she absolutely gets it and, and is able to articulate it in that, in a way that she can go toe to toe with, uh, you know, with a mature adult and, and stand her ground. So there's one more story in this first season, mm-hmm. and it feels like we've gotten far more than just five adventures so far. 
Mark of a good show, really. Yeah. <laughs> Stack this one up against the others and tell me how it ranks. I will say, because I know I said when we discussed the last episode that it didn't, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Warriors of of Kudlak uh, did not topple my personal favorite to that point, which was Eye of the Gorgon, because I really liked all the, the character interaction on this. For that very argument, and, and even though this had absolutely no Luke and no Clyde in it whatsoever... For what it had from the characters that remain, who are the ones that I actually genuinely care about, <laughs> this one is my current front runner for that very reason. Um, and, and everyone's sort of speaking to and, and really shining a bright light on the importance of Sarah Jane in our in our universe. So, I I don't know. I I'm they are very neck and neck, but I I think that Warriors of Kudlak is still still my my favorite. Hmm. So, and. Part of it is because this, you know, you, you had more of a, uh, more stories going on. You had more, uh, different characters and things. Um, this one is, is very, very focused. And so it is, you get storyline a, and that's about it. But also at the end of the day, it's, I, I liked the adversary in warriors of Cudlack. I liked that kind of turnaround at the end where he realized that he had messed up. And for me and for what I saw in my kids watching that that one just holds a better spot in my heart right now. Whereas hmm. this one is, it is a, it is a dense story and a dense problem. And I, I, I'm looking forward to watching it again with my kids because they weren't able to watch it with me this time and, and see how they digest it. But as it sits right now, I'm just, I, I like the, I like the life lesson that I'm able to impart to, to younger people with warriors of Kudlak. Whereas this one is just, Sometimes things suck and there's no way around it, which is an important lesson as well. But I don't know. Um, so kind of the opposite of Jay, like I feel like this one is it's less fun and exciting and adventurous as all the episodes we've had before it, all the stories we've had before it. But it's got a weight to it that I really like and appreciate. So I think I might be on Kier's team here with this being my favorite so far. What would you attribute that weight to? What is it that gives it the gravitas that that sits with you after viewing is over? I, I mean, a few of the points we've discussed, you know, we've got a child being forced to make the decision of sacrificing mm. herself to save the world. We we get, uh, we really center Sarah Jane's importance to the world by removing her from the story. Um, mm. So I, I just really like what they did with this one. It, like I said, it, it it's tested my memory to think that there was still one more to go mm -hmm. in this because you could have very easily said you know dust this one off and we'll see you back in a few months with the with the start of the, of the next season but there is one more to go which is in a similar vein i mean as far as shaking up what we think we know of the characters so it's it is an interesting arc that they followed this is this is not one where you sort of bell curve your way through the season this just keeps kind of upping and upping and upping the emotional investment in the characters as we near the finish of the of the first season i'm i'm going to do a little research during the um the interstitial time to try and figure out whether or not the bbc drama department knew that they were going to be doing this for more than one season at the outset hmm. because if they if they knew they were giving this a minimum two seasons run based on the popularity of doctor who proper then that would explain why they were throwing so much hardball into this kid's kids program almost like 
throw everything you've got at it. They can't not bring us back. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. They have to keep it going. Yeah. And, Let's make a bunch uh, of 12 and 13-year-olds cry and cry and cry. I and think, get their parents to cry and cry and cry because they're taking away Sarah Jane. For me, I think this one is definitely my favorite of all of them so far. Although I... I don't like the mask only because the teeth creep me out on no. that. <laughs> I had to look away a lot Fair when enough. he was talking. But I think it because it also has the most Doctor Who-esque vibes to it. I know we've seen a lot of the same villains, but the story type and it reminds me a lot of Donna's turn left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where yep. you see what would have happened to the world. And you don't get a lot of those specifics where you do in her background, all the different mm-hmm. moments, but you get the ideas of how would this change previously and moving forward. So I think for me, that's what really seals the deal on this one. Yeah. those I, We've seen a number of sci-fi series that do that sort of really twisted, dark version of It's a Wonderful Life, right? Where... Mm-hmm. Rather than seeing, you know, how how things are different if you didn't exist, now it's a matter of saying someone's been taken from us and things are going absolutely horribly and we need to get them back. We've done it in Star Trek, I think, once or twice and and a couple of others, which I think, oddly enough, were also involved with a trickster. It's the (laughs) easiest explanation for why is this easily (laughs) happening is just like, boop, snap my fingers and they're gone. Marvel's what if. There you go. You just Mm -hmm. just, just need a watcher involved. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next week we're gonna be we're gonna be trying something a little different. We're gonna start our own kind of March Madness <laughs> before <laughs> because our our month of March is a complete crap show. So we're gonna be like missing episodes here and there. So it's mad enough as it is. We might as well do this now before we run out of March because <laughs> before you realize it, we will have no March left. We the four of us will have no March left. True, there is no March left to give. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be. Kind of a, a, you know, a, what you would expect from March Madness, sort of, you know, bracket competition stuff. Um, I think, uh, Jay Haley, when we, were, when we were spitballing this at Gallifrey 1, we thought we might go with uh, Friends of the Doctor mm-hmm. as the first mm-hmm. go-around. Cool, so you planned without me to not have me there, and <laughs> yes. then I said, hey, I can't make this, it, you are like, hey. It just went out really well that way. Time, this has yeah. all been in the work for a while. I mean. <laughs> yeah, it was decided over a bowl of ramen noodles. You that know what? Really just it. None taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't miss what you're not invited to, or <laughs> something like that. Well, this has been episode 463 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, no, seriously, where is Steve? What happened to Steve? (laughs) Hey, Steve. And this is Gear saying, uh, this is the closest we will ever come to a Doctor Who and Loki crossover episode. So hope you enjoyed it. This is Julie saying, can we please just ask Mr. Smith to save us from the past two years? (laughs) (laughs) And this is Haley saying, you're still too old for skateboarding. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. 
join us next week for a brand new episode.